Tessa Luna Luvia, and I am a former family law attorney, and Amber is a criminal psychologist, and together we are taking on these Innocence Project cases. Now that does not mean that every case we do, we think that person is in fact innocent, because sometimes, in our opinion, we feel they are guilty. Now I want to put a disclaimer in this video before we even get started that these are our opinions and that we are not stating our opinions as fact. You yourself can go online and research for yourself and draw your own conclusion. On November 12, 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of murdering his wife, Lacey, and unborn child, Connor. He was sentenced to death and is currently on death row at San Quentin Prison. Scott Peterson's 27-year-old wife, Lacey, went missing on Christmas Eve 2002. She was eight months pregnant. Scott claims that on Christmas Eve morning, Lacey got up and ate some breakfast while watching Martha Stewart between 9 and 10. Then she was going to clean up and mop the floor and take their dog Mackenzie for a walk. Scott said that he at first was going to go play golf but decided it was too cold and went fishing instead. Now remember that part because later on it becomes important. Between 9.20 and 9.40, a neighbor did see Scott outside loading umbrellas into the back of his truck. They both said hello to each other. He then leaves his house and goes to his warehouse that is approximately three miles from his home. And from 10.30 to 10.56, he was, in fact, on his computer at that warehouse. He then heads to Berkeley Marina to go fishing. Now, let's backtrack while he was at the warehouse to 10.18 a.m. His neighbor sees the dog Mackenzie running around with its leash on and takes the dog back to Scott and Lacey's house and places the dog in the backyard and closes the gate and leaves. Now, according to Scott, at 12.54, he gets a parking receipt at Berkeley Marina and launches his boat and stays there till about 2 p.m. At 2.15, Scott calls Lacey and leaves her a message. At 4.30, he arrives back at his warehouse to drop off the boat. Now, this is a boat that apparently no one in the immediate family even knew he had. From there, he headed home. After he arrived home, he said he threw his clothes in the wash machine, ate some pizza, and then took a shower. He says that this whole time, he assumed Lacey was at her mom's, even though he found the dog in the backyard with its leash on and the door unlocked. After he got dressed from his shower at approximately 5.17 p.m., he calls Sharon, which was Lacey's mom, 
and asked her if Lacey was with her, in which she replied she was not. At 5.47 p.m., Lacey's stepfather, Ron, calls 911 to report Lacey missing. The police meet up with the family in East La Loma Park, and around 6.20, Detective Brocchini ends up going back to the house to take a look around and also to talk to Scott. Now, the reason they went to East La Loma Park is because that is where Scott said that Lacey was going to go walk the dog. From 6.20 p.m. to 1.19 a.m., the police search the house and Scott's warehouse and find no evidence to point to Lacey's disappearance at that time. Now remember that, at that time. During that time, from 12 a.m. to 1 a.m., Scott sits down with the detective at the police station for a recorded interview. Scott goes over his whole day and denies any problems in their marital relationship. And also, he agrees to take a polygraph that he later on declines to take after advice from his father. During the next few days, several people come forward, including neighbors, stating that they saw Lacey walking her dog on Christmas Eve morning. There was also a search warrant issued again for the house and this time for the vehicles. The police were suspicious of Scott from the beginning because of his, what seemed like, uncaring attitude toward his wife's disappearance and also because he refused to take the polygraph and the fact that he refuses to be on camera begging for his wife's return like her family. The police and the media felt Scott seemed emotionless. Lacey's family seemed frantic to find her while in their opinions he acted like he already knew where she was. But Lacey's family continued to support Scott regardless of what others thought. But that would soon change. So Scott claims that that Christmas Eve morning he got up, Lacey was making breakfast, she was watching Martha Stewart. He even told the police what was on Martha Stewart and they later found out that that actually was something that was playing on Martha Stewart that morning. So Scott talks about how he decides that it's too cold to go golfing and decides to go fishing. Now, I'm just going to stop it right there and let's talk about this because I have been fishing as a country girl. A lot of us have been fishing throughout our lives. And once you get on that water, Whew, whatever temperature it is outside is going to get colder. So if it's too cold to go golfing, how is it not even colder to go fishing? I never understood that except that later on he talks about how the boat was actually going to be a gift for, I guess, Lacey's dad or stepdad. I can't remember at this point. And he said he needed to get it out on the water to make sure – that it worked. Now, I don't know what he meant by work, unless he meant like the motor or that it didn't leak. I'm not sure. But why wait till Christmas Eve morning to do that and you've had the boat X amount of weeks? That part I didn't understand. But the one thing that threw me off is him telling police that the reason he didn't go golfing is that it was too cold. But when he called Sharon, and Ron, which is Lacey's stepdad, he told them that he had went golfing. And when Ron calls 911, 
he even says my son-in-law was golfing. So why would he tell them that he was golfing and then change it to fishing when he knew the whole time he had went fishing unless he didn't want them to know he had been at Berkeley Marina. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's a little strange uh, behavior and logic and reason. Um, for some reason, he didn't want them to know he was out fishing that day. Maybe, just maybe, he didn't want them to realize he had the boat. He said it was supposed to be a gift for someone. But still, you know, if you go out fishing, it doesn't automatically mean you're fishing in a boat. If he didn't want them to know he had a boat. Still, people go fishing on the shore all the time. It's very strange behavior um, to know even what was on Martha Stewart that morning, that strange memory of Martha Stewart's show, as if he wanted them to know that she was watching Martha Stewart at that time. Uh, still very odd to me. But you know what you just made me think about is the boat situation, because I couldn't figure out why he would tell them that he went golfing. But if, and we're saying if, he didn't know Lacey was dead. Let's say that he didn't do it and he didn't know Lacey was dead. He might tell them golfing because if they say fishing, they might want to talk about the fishing and well, what was you doing or was you on? And then he might not want them to know that he had got them a boat for Christmas because if Lacey does walk in the door as he's talking to him here, he done told him he was fishing and, and they're wondering, well, how was you fishing? And, and so maybe it was something that he didn't normally do. So I don't know. It, it, that could, I guess, go either way. But I had just thought of that just now. And the police interrogated him that night is when he actually set, talked about the Martha Stewart, and he said, I don't remember. It was something on Martha Stewart, something about cookies. But it ended up being that they were making some type of lemon meringue something, and he said something to do with meringue. So he did remember what was on Martha Stewart. So that's a little crazy. Well, Scott says that Lacey, after she ate, she was going to kind of clean up, take the dog for a walk, and, you know, Scott was getting ready to leave, and, you know, a neighbor did see Scott, like I talked about in the intro, a neighbor did see Scott, he was loading the umbrellas into his truck, they both said hello to each other, and then he leaves. If Lacey was already dead at this time, and this is what they were saying, that he had put her in the back of the truck, and he was loading the umbrellas in the truck so that her body wouldn't be seen, I guess, under the umbrellas. But this is, this is where I'm confused. If Scott leaves and goes to the warehouse, how does the dog get out of the house with its leash on? Because around 10.30, while he's like, well, I think it was more like around 10.18, while he's at the warehouse and proof that he's at the warehouse, the neighbor sees the dog running with the leash around its neck. But Scott's already gone. So who let the dog out that has the leash hanging around its neck running around the neighborhood? So this is where I get confused. Like, how'd the dog get out? Unless Scott let the dog out with the leash on. But the neighbor never said anything like, oh, I saw Scott and he was putting the dog in the truck. She said he was putting umbrellas in a truck. So... 
I don't know. What do you think about the dog? You know, it's very interesting to me about this dog running free with a leash. Okay, so in your intro, uh, it was mentioned that Lacey was planning on taking their dog for a walk. If Scott did this, was he trying to set up her being kidnapped while walking their dog and the dog ran free with the leash on? Is this some sort of setup for him saying that she went missing while walking the dog? It's, it's very particular to me that this dog was running around with no, you know, no owner, you know, the leash was running around. Very strange. Um, however, I don't think a kidnapper would take her while walking a dog. Just as a burglar would usually avoid a house with a dog. They don't want to deal with a dog. A kidnapper definitely probably would not take her walking a dog. That does make sense. I wonder, and if there was a kidnapper, and say that she's walking the dog, and let's say two of them jump out of a truck, even maybe even just one jump out of the truck, and they just grab her, chances are the dog would get very defensive and want to protect its owner. But then again, we don't know what kind of dog this is. Was it a calm dog? Was it like a guard dog? Would it have defended her? Would it have cowered? I mean, I don't know. I just don't understand how the dog got out of the house with its leash on, unless when Scott left, because the gate was open. He put the leash on the dog and left the gate open and left, hoping that the dog would get out hoping that somebody would see the dog. I mean, unless he put the dog in the truck and then let the dog out a block away, I don't understand how the dog got out unless somebody physically took it out. That's the only part I didn't understand. Now, I know that Scott went to his warehouse and he was on his computer. He was on his emails. They have proof that he was there between 1030 and 1056. He said that after he left the warehouse, he drove to Berkeley Marina, which took about an hour or maybe more. He didn't get there until 1254. So that's about, what, two hours? So it took him almost two hours to get to Berkeley Marina. He, he, paid the little parking thing, I think it was like $5 or something, that had a timestamp on it. Now, here's why I was thinking that Scott told them he was fishing. One, because I believe that he had that ticket for an alibi to say that he was nowhere near the house. Two, he had to say it because he had said he saw somebody and they had asked him how he was doing and they talked about what each other was fishing for and maybe he thought that person would come forward to police and say, yeah, I saw him there and then his whole golf thing would be thrown out the window. So maybe that was why he lied about that. But but here's where where I think a lot of people are just like, oh, he had to have done it. Because isn't it a crazy coincidence that he goes to Berkeley Marina and then that's where the bodies are found? I mean, what do you think about that? Well, that's very suspicious. I haven't done much research yet on the Berkeley Arena area. I do not know at the top of my mind right now how big this place is. Now, he's there. 
he put umbrellas in the back of his truck, went to a warehouse, and then he goes to the arena. They found the body there. Yes, very suspicious. It's a big coincidence if he did not do it. <laughs> it is. And I think that's why a lot of people are dead set on on thinking, you know, he did it is because that's that's pretty coincidental, you know. So at 2.15, he calls Lacey and leaves a message. Now, here's something about the message. He goes on to say, hey, sweetheart, you know, real lovingly talk. I couldn't get the basket for Papa. I wanted to know if you could do it for me, if you could get out, that he wasn't going to have enough time. He wouldn't be back in time. He did say in the phone call that he was just now leaving the marina. So a lot of people's like he's talking too sweet to her. Well, messages between a couple it's hard for me to say because the family both says this is how he usually talked to her which is to me is proof that he probably really did talk to her in front of the family how he talked to her alone is a different story because we are looking outside of their relationship the family will you know, if they said, oh, Scott usually talked to her like this in front of us. Right. Doesn't mean he talked to her that way alone. If he left other messages on the uh, answering machine that they had, they could probably match up how he would talk to her if he left other messages on different dates. You can get a sense of how he treated her. We can't only go by this one message to her, however. If he was overly loving to her or something like that, maybe he was. But I know for a fact, messages left to me by my friends and family, they're not overly loving. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, hey, Amber, you know, can you go and pick up milk for us? Thanks. Bye. Love you, mom. You know, it's not overly loving. Usually how a couple would treat each other depends on how close they are, if they have like different pet names for each other. Sometimes even inside jokes in the relationship is left on, on voicemails. Well, you know, his, their entire family, his entire family and her entire family both said they, they were the perfect couple. That, that they were the couple that everybody wanted to be. So you're right. We don't know if they were just loving in front of people and if they were like that in front of each other. And we just don't know. So, and, and that's the only message they let us hear. So we don't know. And so I'm assuming the police for them to say that maybe they heard other messages and said that this one seemed abnormal, but they didn't let us hear the other messages. So we don't know. So, okay. So he leaves the marina, calls Lacey, comes home before he even looks for his eight-month pregnant wife. Now, let's get this out there. His eight-month pregnant could go into labor early. We all, you know, that last month is, is a hectic time. Before he even tries to find out where she is, he throws all his stuff in the wash machine. Now, let's let's say this. He didn't just throw his shirt and his pants. He threw his shirt, his pants, his belt, his shoes. He threw every single thing he was wearing 
into the laundry, which seems very suspicious to police because why are you washing everything, including your belt? Then he claims he ate some pizza and then he took a shower. It wasn't even until after he even got out of the shower and got dressed did he even bother to call Lacey's mom to see if she was over there. Now, remember this whole time, and if you listen to my introduction, you know that this whole time he was assuming that Lacey was at his mom's, at her mom's, and at Sharon's, and that's why she wasn't home. And it's not until he completely gets dressed and out of the shower after he's through his clothes in the laundry, after he's ate, after he's, you know, took the shower, after he's gotten dressed, that he calls over to Lacey's mom to see if she's there. Now, my question is, Amber, does that sound normal to you? I mean, maybe their relationship was they each kind of did their own thing. But let me say this, Ann Bird, who is Scott's half-sister, has come forward and said that that she found that so hard to believe that Lacey would not be home and that Scott would be able to go fishing. She even writes about this in her book. She says that there is no way that he wouldn't have a honey-to-do list so long for Christmas Eve because they were going to Lacey's parents that night for dinner, that he would have a list so long of things he had to do and take care of that there's no way Lacey would say, hey, just go fishing. I'm just going to hang around and walk the dog. She, she called BS on that. And this is Scott's half-sister. So... I don't know, Amber. Is that not strange behavior? But then again, if if they live kind of like separate lives, which everybody says they didn't, I mean, I don't know. Is is do you find that odd? I don't know anybody who celebrates Christmas. They will just go fishing on Christmas Eve. Uh, of course, there's people who don't celebrate Christmas. There's even people who go to the movie theater on Christmas and Christmas Day. I understand that. But these, this is a family, you know. She was pregnant, eight months pregnant. I can understand she might have wanted to go and walk the dog. Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe he wanted to chill for a few hours and go fishing, but it seems to me he took a long time. Uh, you know, he wasn't home preparing to go over to other people's houses or even preparing their own home for festivities. So, yes, that does seem very strange to me, especially if this is what they did in the past and that they were always together. I'm sure Lacey might have tried to exercise even being eight months pregnant. However, I don't know an eight-month pregnant woman who would actually take a long walk with their dog and then go over to her family's house afterwards and being on her swollen feet for that long. But maybe she did like to exercise and walk around and try to do normal things for a long period of time. But it would be very inconvenient for a eight-month pregnant woman. Well, one thing Scott said that kind of caught police's attention is that he said that Lacey was going to take the dog walking in the park, East Laloma Park. Now, there are a lot of steep hills. <laughs> there are she would have to walk down an embankment to even get to the part where she could actually walk. So I don't, I don't know of an eight-month pregnant woman that would do that and endanger the baby and herself by falling down an embankment. But after Scott called,
calls Sharon. Sharon's stepfather, Ron, calls 911 and tells them that Lacey is missing. So the police, Scott, and the family all meet up at this East La Loma Park that Scott said, Lacey said she was going to walk the dog at, okay? Well, there was nothing there, obviously, but they kept searching. They brought in people to search. Neighbors came to search. There were huge search parties that whole evening of Christmas Eve looking for her in the park. Well, during that time, the police said, let's go back to the house, Scott. Let's, you know, look around and see if we see anything missing, anything odd. You know, her purse was there. Her keys were there. Her car was there. Everything of Lacey's was there. Just Lacey's missing, okay? So they go back to the house, and they look around. They ask Scott to come in for an interview that night at the police station, and we're talking at midnight, okay? So Scott starts telling them about the cookies and what they were going to do, and Lacey was going to walk the dog and, and all this other stuff, and he was being very cooperative. He even said he would take a polygraph, okay? Now, here's where we get into the next thing. <laughs> the whole polygraph situation is why the police said that Scott had stopped cooperating and that he didn't become a suspect until that time. But he didn't take the polygraph because his father told him that he shouldn't. Now, Amber, as a criminal psychologist, you have the right not to take a polygraph. And polygraphs are not 100%, and they're certainly not admissible in court. And I've never really understood why police use them to either move on from somebody or look harder into somebody because I know a lot of psychopaths and serial killers that have passed polygraphs. So why do you think that this is when they turned all their concern onto Scott just because of his refusal to take a polygraph? They claim that's when it was. Scott says it was much earlier. That night at the house, he heard cops saying the husband's acting suspicious. He's the one that did it. He's the one we need to look at. But the police are saying that it wasn't until he didn't take the polygraph is when they started looking at him as a suspect. Now, why? Why would that be the reason, Amber, if there was nothing else? Yes, you're absolutely right. There have been criminals that uh, passed polygraphs and they're still guilty. Polygraphs are very controversial. Uh, they've always been because, you know, it monitors your heart rate and if you're too nervous, you can make it uh, have false results, things like that, because the polygraph actually supposedly can tell if you're lying or not. But polygraphs are actually a little bit more complicated than that. But yes, people can train and pass them. Uh, a refusal to take a polygraph uh, might be suspicious to some police officers who really believe in the test because if you refuse, that means you have something to hide. Some policemen actually have this bias against people. Policemen sometimes really believe in this test. That makes a lot of sense because I know a lot of them here that I worked with daily that would say, oh, the polygraph would tell the whole story. And I always sat there and went, would it really? You know, so I'm one of those that really didn't believe in it. Okay, so to me, that would not be enough for me to say, hey, he did it. He's just, to me, invoking his right 
to not have to take it. So that to me is not enough. What I did find odd is how emotionalist he was. I mean, if my child, if my husband, if my mother if was missing, I would be on the TV saying, I would give you everything I own if you find them. But he doesn't. He doesn't go on camera. He doesn't go on TV. He's very emotionalist. He refuses to do interviews. The whole family's on TV begging. Her mom's begging. Her dad's breaking down on TV begging. Her brother's begging. And then there's Scott, who refuses to even talk, do an interview, go on TV, beg the public. He just... He seems like he doesn't care. And it's not until later on why we actually find out why he didn't want to be seen on media. Here's my question, Amber. What do you think about somebody who's so emotionless? And we talked about this. If you guys have not watched the Darlie Routier case that me and Amber did, it is on our new YouTube page, Tessa Luna Project. All our videos will be there from now on, but I will put the link also in the description below to those videos. But Darlie didn't act like a grieving mother, and that caused her to be imprisoned with the death penalty for something we believe she didn't do. So is this another thing like that? Is he not acting the way he should, Amber? And and this is what's making people wonder what is going on. He must not love his wife. He must not care. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. There is prejudice towards people who do not act in a certain way. If their loved one dies, is murdered or missing, uh, of course, he may act suspicious because he doesn't want to talk to the media. Uh, you know as well as I do, sis, that uh, the media journalists can be vultures. His case went public. He had an eight-month pregnant wife. She was found without a head in the water. How horrible. How horrible is that? He not only lost a wife, he lost an unborn child. And he refused to talk to the public. He was very cooperative. Maybe he didn't cry enough. Or, or something to the policemen. And of course, obviously, who do the policemen look towards first if your spouse is missing? It yes. is either the husband or the wife. Right. And if, right. They're acting, if they're not acting the way they expect you to act, then you're automatically going to be a suspect. That is just how it is. And you know, the detective all said that. He wasn't acting like anything was wrong. He wasn't acting like his wife was missing. He acted like he knew where his wife was the whole time. I remember watching an interview on TV where Sharon Roche and all of them were like at the Red Lion and the local TV news is there and they're all talking about Lacey and they're all begging and crying and Scott's over there just looking like he doesn't have a clue like he just doesn't care like he just already knows where she is and I remember looking at him thinking say something but he just looked away the whole interview he just stayed in the back and looked away and I found that so crazy odd but then you know you don't know the way he was raised you don't know his family situation you don't know if he was taught not to cry as a child and from what I've 
everything from his family, from Scott's side, they all kind of seem, I don't know, very loving, caring people. And I just don't see this, this stoic way about his family that Scott is. And from what I understand, he was the baby. He was kind of a surprise in the family. He was spoiled rotten. His parents gave him anything he wanted. And I just don't understand why it had to be like that, except what we're going to talk about in the next video, and that's good old Amber Fry. So <laughs> once we get into that, people will more understand why he didn't want to be on video. So Amber, Lacey's mm -hmm. family stayed by Scott the entire time until they learned about, of course, the girlfriend that we're going to talk about in the next video. But they stayed by his side the entire time. They, they asked him, is there anything you need to tell us? Why do you think that Scott held it in for so long? If he really loved his wife, if he really wanted his unborn child, and this really was not his doing, why do you think he just didn't tell the family I'm doing wrong? Because if I was cheating, okay, let's say that I'm married, I love my husband, and I'm cheating. He goes missing, but I didn't do it. I'm going to tell the whole world I screwed up and had an affair. I'm going to tell the person I'm having an affair with. I'm going to beg the public for forgiveness, and I'm going to say, look, I'm a screwball. I'm no good. I'm a bad person. But please help me find him. You know, just, just I don't care what you think of me. Just please keep the word out there. Say what you want about me. I don't even care. Why do you think he just didn't do that? I mean, he's married and a child's coming. It can't really be in his mind that he's going to be with this other girl and live this life. I mean, what's happening in this man's head? I mean, why not just say something from jump? You know, that's a very good question, and there could be many different reasons for this or a simple one. He really thought he was going to get away with it if he truly did it. You know, uh, for some reason, some criminals create the most bizarre crimes, and they think they're smarter than the police department. They think they're smarter than skilled detectives, and they really think they're going to get away with it. Now, let me remind you, uh, Scott, yes, had a eight-month-old pregnant wife who needed probably a lot of attention, a lot of care. She can't perform her usual duties because she's eight months pregnant. And here's this young, beautiful girl giving him attention. It probably flattered his ego a little bit. But he couldn't think that he was really going to be, he couldn't have thought, I can't say anything and make myself look guilty, all for this girl who's boosting my ego. And, and of course, we'll get more into that into the next video. I just mm -hmm. found that really odd that he just didn't say, I'm a screw up. I did this. I don't care who finds out. She's going to find out eventually. I just want you to find my wife. So, you know, I go into each of these cases that we do very open-minded and and I don't really think about what my conclusion is until we do the last video even with the Darley I wasn't completely convinced until the end but with this one I I'm so confused I I don't know yes or no right now I mean because it does honestly 
look like he's guilty, but I do know other things in the case that we're going to talk about later that may look like he's innocent. So I'm very torn, but I am very confused about why he acted the way he did in the beginning. Why do you think, Amber, that that these people, whether innocent or guilty, let's say he's innocent. What, why why act like that? I mean, is it something from childhood? Are you scared to say something? I mean, it, it just, it makes no sense. Well, believe it or not, some people think, guilty or not, that if they don't say too much, that they keep a mystery about them and the police department uh, may not find evidence against them. Uh, sometimes if a criminal speaks too much, it may, you know, they, they end up giving details and make them look like they're guilty or, you know, criminals can slip and incriminate themselves. Perhaps Scott was keeping silent the whole time because uh, maybe he thought, well, you know, if the police found out that I'm having an affair or the media finds out I'm having an affair, it makes me look even guiltier. Okay, next in part two, we will be discussing the affair with Amber Fry. So thank you for watching and sharing. And do not forget to subscribe and hit that notification bell. So you will be notified immediately when the next one is uploaded. And as always, if you have a case you think we would be interested in covering, you can submit it to us via the link in the description box. Bye! Keep me warm in the cold of the night.